welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest for me, huge guest for me, Shaka Malik of the band Burn, of Orange 9mm, of Ghost Decibels, of fame from this podcast, in this podcast world, because of all the cool things he's done. But more on that in a second. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me at turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. If you would like to support this podcast, the best way of doing that is by writing a review on iTunes or subscribing to it or, you know, on a, whatever platform you listen to. Write a review and rate it if you can do that. Um, and if not, tell your friends, tell all your buds about listening to this podcast and how much fun we all have here. If you'd like to find us on Facebook, there's a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. You can reach him through that Facebook page and it's turned out a punk or no facebook.com slash turned punk. There's also a Tumblr page. If you don't use Facebook, you can find that at turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com. And this podcast is only possible with the help and support of the fine folks at Vans. They have come aboard on this thing and said, Damien, do what you do. We just want to support you. Book whoever you want, you know, and that's what I'm doing. So thank you, Vans, for making this possible. All right. Right now I'm talking to you from the inside of a uh, truck, my friend Madison's truck in downtown Los Angeles, Hollywood area. Uh, I'm out here doing doing a lot of stuff it was been a really kind of interesting trip i got to do some cool podcasts you'll be hearing in the near future did a live podcast probably the probably the last <laughs> live podcast like this uh for me but uh, i had a great time i got to meet some cool people I had some friends on the show you'll be hearing that in the near future uh i just learned that you know what i'm going to stick to doing the house of vans for the live podcast things for the near future um those are a little more uh kind of yeah, manageable. This was a, I had a lot of stress out here, man. I had a lot of stress. I was coming off of a pretty horrible few months. And then I think being out here was like maybe a little too stressful. So dial that back a bit. You know, I normally don't talk this much off the top of the show and tell you uh, what I'm going through, but I think, you know what? Fuck it. That's what I do on this thing now on. I'm going to, I'm going to make this a little more, make these things a little off the top, a little more personable, you know? Well, maybe not. Okay, today on the show, Shaka Malik of the band Orange Nine Millimeter and of the band Burn and of Ghost Decibels and the Newbury Comp. And, you know, he's someone who is hugely influential, hugely important, like one of the great vocalists of, of all time, in my opinion, and someone that has loomed large over this podcast for a lot of reasons, musical influence, you know, the Newbury compilation, things like that. But also, as we get into in this episode don't really get into it enough to be honest because it is a short one but maybe in the near future we'll be also getting back to that but uh we we, we talk about mvp and the role shaka had on mvp um you know getting out of that prison meeting him shaka showing him an act of kindness i think went a long way to helping mvp you know uh, see some light after a pretty terrible time in prison so I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I really, really have wanted to do this for a long time. I got Shaka in the middle of a studio session. So unfortunately, uh, it's short. But you know what? Don't let that dissuade you because what it it makes up for with is amazing 
I don't know, amazing conversation. I really, really love the chance that I got to do this. So I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Everyone, everywhere, sit back, relax. Oh, before I say this, uh, Burton will be going on a European tour. Uh, find out uh, burnhardcore.com. Look them up. Uh, They're, as I say, one of the great bands. Go and see them if you get the chance to see them. Uh, they've got a new record out. They are, you know, just just that band. Just that band, 100%. And Shaka is that guy. So I'm going to shut up and let you listen to Shaka Malik on Turned Out a Punk. Shaka, it is an absolute honor to have you on the show today. Pleasure is mine, D. What's going on? Man, well, I was just telling you off uh, air. Um, I think uh, you were telling me mad secrets off air. I was telling you tons of secrets. That's why we ha- we can't have the record button pushed at that time. I know, I know. <laughs> but no, I was. Uh, this is not a secret. As I was saying, you have inspired me, as many other front people in hardcore bands uh, over the years. You're a, a front person's front person. But beyond that, like you are someone that has come upon the show. You know, be it with Freddie or be it with MVP, you know, and have, have influenced and touched a lot of people's lives that have already been guests on the show. So it is a thrill to finally get to do this. That's killer. They've obviously touched me, MVP, the big homie. I, had, I got a chance to see him in Houston, which was amazing. And obviously Freddie with the book, which mm-hmm. is now, I think, sold out. Sold out today, I is, think. It's incredible. I'm thankful that he asked me to write a, a brief forward for it, which I just made into kind of a little poem. That I think that felt that feels like what it felt like for me, like to be a kid, like in the train to like let's be listening to hardcore music on like headphones and and have all that stuff mixed. I felt lucky. I felt special. And you know, I, and I think that's why a lot of people they get mad. Like I know, like I don't know if it happens now, but it used to be like when bands started to get bigger, like a lot of the fan base would be like, "Oh, they they so they suck now," you know. Cause, <laughs> Because it's no longer per, as personal, right? Mm-hmm. Because more people now are able to. It's not a secret anymore. It's not that special thing. And I feel like that graffiti and and uh, and hardcore thing really, really had that nice kind of secret vibe to it. So I hope that that forward touches people in that sense. Well, that, I think that project before man, we could go down. I could talk to you forever already. I can feel this, but uh, but uh, th- that project I think was so special um, because. You know, for for people like me that have like nerded out about this stuff for years and tried to find out about these connections between like, you know, rap music and hardcore, to have yeah. it kind of like put into tome and to be able to flip through it and yeah. be like, no, here it is. Here's how Frontline connects everything, and here's how this connects to that. And it's like, yeah. what a beautiful thing to have out there. Absolutely. Uh, so, so Freddie, he's a he's a uh, historian in mm-hmm. that sense, and he's really done a great work. So I'm thankful to be a part of that. Well. Uh, this is not about Freddie. This, of course, is about yeah. yourself. So I have to start this off the way I start them all off, which is Shaka. How did okay. you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? I do. I do. I had um, I had to go to the hospital. It was a my little sister had had gotten um, had sprayed oven cleaner in her eyes, and I had to bring it to the hospital. And I met my I met my mom on the train. My mother was furious at me. Cause I was watching her at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they were going in to see the pediatrician or whatever it was. And I said to my mother, can I borrow your kind of little, you know, portable radio thing or whatever it was she had at the time. And so she kind of reluctantly gave it to me and I sat there 
in that room in like kind of waiting room, or whatever, feeling obviously guilty for this thing happening, hoping everything was going to be okay with my little sister. But then also now, like I need to clear my mind because I'm freaked out. And I just put like the headphones on and I just started scrolling. Like, and I knew the stations that I liked, like the, there was whatever it was. It was like, um, there was like a hip hop station or like whatever it was like a, what the fuck was that? Like a 97 kiss hot kit. Maybe kiss was the station at the time or something. Okay. Um, and I, I was bored of that, and I just kept scrolling, and I came across WNYU, and they had a, they had a show called The New Afternoon Show, and they played um, Minor, I think it was Salad Days by Minor Threat, maybe, was one of the first songs. Oh, that's awesome. Or maybe a Scratch Acid song. <laughs> that was like, and that was, yeah, that's how I got into it. Really? So Scratch Acid could have been the first thing you heard in punk. That's a... Scratch acid berserker. I remember being like, "Whoa, that's fucking gnarly!" Oh, that's <laughs> the woman, amazing. The, yeah, the woman, the DJ's name was Spermicide, and I just remember yeah. like being like sixteen-year-old kid, being like, "Dude, this woman sounds amazing." <laughs> I had no idea what a spermicide was yeah. at the time. Keeping it one hundred, <laughs> you know. I didn't grow up fast in that sense. No, no. Well, you know what? There, there's a lot of time to learn about spermicides later in life. Oh goodness, is that a threat? <laughs> no, don't believe me. Don't believe me. We're gonna keep this. We're gonna we're gonna keep this PG. I promise you. Um, where did you kind of go from there, though? You like you you found this great station. Um, what was kind of your next, you know, tr- uh, like way to travel down that path? Yeah. So I would listen to the station, and I I was already going into the city to buy hip hop records and int- instrumental breakbeat records. So I basically just started going to like a new couple of new record stores. You know, I started going um, to some records first. No, I, I didn't go to that was my my third first record store. I think it may have been Free Bean Records may have been the first kind of punk record store I went to. And that was on the corner of, of I think, like second and eighth or something, some shit like that. Like not the corner, but like right there. And I bought Chromex Age of Quarrel. And I remember like well, going in there and it just like smelled like – and all record stores used to smell like hamburgers and french fries at the time <laughs> in the city. I don't know. I don't know if you have a similar experience. But I went in there and it was like horrible smell of hamburgers. And like I just was like looking, looking, looking. And there's a bald gentleman behind the counter. I forgot his name, but he's people know who he is. Um, and I bought that record. Um, but my first – you know, my first punk record was bought at a place called um, St. Mark's Sounds, which still exists, which is not a, a, a full-on punk store. Mm-hmm. But my decision for making that that purchase was um, – I, I like when you get into it – like when you're looking at a scene from the outside and you, you first – can you start to admire people and you can identify them by their fashion, right? Yeah. So I would see punks walking around and stuff like that downtown. I would never pay attention to them before, but now I'm paying attention, right? And I would see the names on the jackets and stuff like that. And I saw a black flag like on like pretty much almost every jacket. So I was like, you know what? I'm getting a black flag record, you know. <laughs> and which and which, then I just <laughs> which one? I got damaged, oh, damaged. Yeah, yeah. And did that did that click with you right away? Like um, in the same way that like Scratch Acid and Minor Threat had? Scratch Acid didn't click with me. No oh, disrespect. Did. <laughs> oh, no, no, not even Minor Threat. Go ahead. No, no, go on, please. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. And Minor Threat, that did too, but honestly, that, that Black Flabber caught with me more than anything. I, Scratch Acid is dope. It's not that, that they didn't catch. It wasn't my, the, the, my favorite thing. There's a lot of bands out there. Like, like for me, like the Chrome Eggs Age of Quarrel record, mm-hmm. um, and later the demo that I came across, obviously the work is set, Bad Brains work is set, mm-hmm. and, and any of their you know, shit pretty much. But like Black Flag Damage is a record that like, it was almost like a pop record to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It had that, 
it had that kind of translucency that a pop record has where you can kind of see clearly through it, but you're also willing to be immersed in it. It has some escapism in it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and it was a major so, yeah. label record too. Like, well, it was distributed by MCA, right? Hence the, all the problems they had. With that was it. on SST. I don't know if it was distributed by. Originally, by it was MCA. on Unicorn MCA, and then MCA oh, said was it? it was like this was an anti-parent record, so they blocked the distribution of it for the first pressing. Really? Yeah, for like for t- that's why it was like so hard to get in the early years because uh, the the I guess Unicorn, uh, the subsidiary of MCA or the the company being distributed through MCA was like. Uh, you know, signed this band, and then they someone an executive actually at the label heard it and was like, "Oh my god, we cannot put this out." Yeah, that record to me is fucking. It's incredible. So it's like a, it's like a movie, mm-hmm. you know, you know, shot by the the most amazing director. <laughs> That's an awesome way you to know? put it too. Where did you kind of had you been going to other concerts before? Because you mentioned you were buying you know instrumental records and 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 rap records, hip hop records. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was going to, to my con. My dad is a photographer, so he would get me into shows and stuff like that. But I was still, I mean, I was, I wasn't really out at night on the on like solo. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I really wasn't going to show. I'm trying to think of like, I don't even know. I don't know. Like, I don't fuck, man. What was I like, think I might have just like those hardcore shows might have been my first like shows. I don't oh know. wow, okay. I was sixteen. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I wasn't really. Well, did you like because you mentioned your dad's a photographer? Were, did you grow up in like a music house? Was like music kind of something your parents were really into? Um. Yeah. In order, in order to have dinner, we used to have to uh, go through this um, uh, kind of a limbo line, which and it got lower and lower. <laughs> so it's very and no, you know they were and they are. Yeah. You know, they had, there was a lot of records, a, a lot of vinyl, which actually benefited many of my friends later in life, just from a strictly having so many jazz records in the house that mm. like Mark Ryan, uh, Alan Cage, other people, you know, we, it turned us all on to a lot of a lot of cool jazz stuff and, and other types of kind of left of center stuff that you might we might not have come across elsewhere at the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, was- so very influential. influential. Go ahead. No, no, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but I, that, I find that amazing. So that's like, because there is that shift that happens within New York where there's like a lot, not shift, but there's like a lot more musicality, like bands start pushing things with some of their second projects that they were doing, artists start doing things differently. Is that coming from your house, I guess, like sitting there listening to these records? You're saying kind of the, that express that germ of new expression kind of thing? Or yeah, like I guess like, you know, hardcore can be, a little conservative at times. Um, and you know, music in hardcore can be a little conservative at times, but I think like, like, you know, like, you know, I'm thinking of just how, well, jazz, the influence of jazz in New York hardcore bands. And you had those bands that started interest in like introducing different time signatures and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it definitely, it definitely plays a part, plays a role in the same way that, you know, uh, I think Alan got me Metallica and Justice for All as a birthday present because I had no idea what what that was, mm-hmm. and that he I think had, had inherited it, uh, knowing of Metallica maybe from his brother. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that all these influences they all cross from you know the relative. It goes through the person that you know you know, and then it goes to you, and then hopefully on through you to someone else. So yeah, it's really it's really cool. So how did you make that jump from, you know, that first Black Flag record you bought to going to your first show? Like, did you meet other kids that were into it? 
Oh no. It's maybe <laughs> I think I knew a person in school. Okay. But I was just just like I'm just gonna go to the see. I think I went maybe went to some records or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like I'm just gonna go to one of these shows kind of thing. Like the voice was always at the house. Wait, wait, did I, was that? Fuck no, was that was after that. I was trying to think if it was like this bad brain circle jerk show, but that was way out. That, that was eighteen when that came when that when that show happened. I'm just trying. I'm trying to piece it together, but yeah, yeah I mean. So what was that was like? It, what was that like going to the, that first show? Like you're rolling solo. Like what were your expectations of what you were going to see that day, or did you have any preconceived notions of what it was going to be like? Honestly, it sounds absurd to think about it today. Mm-hmm. Just going to the show by myself, like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, that's. I mean, I don't know. It takes a shit ton of courage. I, I don't know if I had. Did I have? I didn't. Um, I. I just loved the music. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I could not go to the show. I guess is really the only answer. I had to go to the show. And what did you kind of make of like, cause I were like, was it a, you know, obviously trying to piece it all together, but like your first memories of seeing like people slamming your first memories of like, I can tell you one of my first memories, which involves the someone, you, you, you know, uh, absolution. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I had gone to see absolution play. Right. Yeah. And I was standing like kind of like in the pit, kind of doing the thing you do when like you're brand new to hardcore where you kind of like you're kind of moving your feet up and down and you're kind of kind of moving your shoulders because you don't know what to do yet. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of doing that and I was standing behind Ginger and I kind of started lightly kind of like tapping him, like pushing him forward just because I just felt the the music was just kind of like and he just did this thing where he just like um, kind of lowered himself a little bit. And and started moving back when delivered like three or four like blows to my stomach, like with his elbows, just moving backwards. And I said, okay, I guess that's how it's done, you know. <laughs> Sometimes the best way to learn how to swim is by getting thrown in that pit. At the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you're at these shows. Like, who are some of the first people that you kind of met? Like, or was it like an open welcoming seat? Well, it doesn't sound like it right there, but yeah, like, I mean, no, that was, I mean, but honestly, that was why, I mean, that's, I would have done, pro- I might've, no, I don't know if I would have done it. I might have, I don't know, but shows were different back then. He should have done yeah. that at the time. Now yeah. you can't do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, but he should have done that at the time. That's what the shows were, mm-hmm. you know? And it wasn't because you were just punching people in the face that were standing on the sidelines. You know, it was like you get, get into the pit and people were, it, it was just, I'm not like I'm not like saying like everything something needs to be the same or different, but I think it was still in the kind of the it was when the violence was starting to first come into it, I guess. The violence was still pretty nascent in it. The overt dancing violence. Stylized violence in the dancing. Um I think now it's gone beyond it's beyond that now and and now it's gone more to my stylized violence, you know, mm-hmm. for a lot of the the heaviness. You know, which which is can be very majestic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's all tribe. The tribes do that. This is how tribes prepare for war. This is how tribes, um, you know, help, help the, 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 the males and females to grow and develop, you know, camaraderie, mm-hmm. you know, it's weird. Cause you know, they, they're taking the, I think they're taking a lot of the supposedly the, the physical games out of the school, you know, school system because it's dangerous, you know, but, but as a child, you know, you need to eat the dirt. You need to get, not literally, but I just, I literally, 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 they just found out there's a bad, good bacteria. You know, you need that shit though. You need to play in the fucking dirt. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? And and dancing, I think, I think maybe the reason I was drawn to it, I didn't have a brother, maybe. Well, not maybe. Not, I mean, a, an older brother. Mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe. I don't know if I had a brother. Maybe. Did I have a brother? <laughs> an older brother. I don't know if I did. I didn't. And I think maybe I was searching for some of that. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. tough sometimes. You're not getting along with your dad all the time. And I was maybe searching for a little a little bit of release and and whatever that kind of male adolescent, you know, stuff is. Rite of passage type of stuff. And I think that um, I think your question was what what did I do next or something like that. Or where what did about, I go? Like, I, I was just going to say like was it an opening welcoming scene? Like who were some of the first people that you kind of? I don't know. I mean, there? is it was it welcoming? I, I I mean, I guess in many ways it was. I, Mark Ryan was, yeah, I guess it was welcoming. It's so weird because I don't think like I'm trying to think of specific times now. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I was I was by myself, so I guess I always. Yeah, I felt. Yeah, I was welcomed. Yeah, absolutely. And see, but I mean, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about many of the people that we, you know, that are that are overtly, even myself, maybe not may not look welcoming, right? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but are in fact weren't welcoming to me, which is amazing. So I mean, like, I think the first person I think I met in hardcore though was probably was it maybe Mark? I think Mark Ryan may have been one of the first people. Freddie Alva, obviously, who, as you know, I became, we became friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Gavin, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby from the Hoods. Danny Diablo, Lord Isaac, went to high school with me. And uh, and my friend Sasha, who also is in hardcore. So, obviously, knew them. Um, oh, I was going to say, did you, did you write graffiti? Yet? Were you writing graffiti? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I, I was writing graffiti at the time. And and how did you like were you guys like because that's obviously like a huge part of a lot of the guys that you mentioned are featured in Freddie's book, you know, or not a lot, right. but a couple of people you mentioned. Was that part of right. like was that part of the the hardcore thing right then for you too? I guess it was. You know, in a weird way, this interview is pretty interesting because it's catching me off guard into it, like in the sense that I'm like thinking back at, at a lot of times that I'm like you know, you move through life and sometimes you, you, you forget specific instances and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the graffiti was a big part of it. I mean, if you look, if you go into CBs, it's covered with graffiti. That doesn't mean I wrote graffiti, but the, when you, it was a, it was an easy segue, uh, and or continuation, you know, the graffiti energy and the skateboarding energy and the, and the, and the punk energy or hardcore energy, you know, very easy segue, very easy bridging, you know, very similar kind of maverick kind of at its core kind of, uh, rebel rebellion in in some way, you know, kind of expression. Well, I was just going to say, all the people you mentioned there are kind of. Uh, it's almost like you guys were the next wave. Like you guys were the people that were going to take over that scene. Well, I don't. I mean, I don't think. I you know, I don't think anybody could take over. No, I mean take over. Sure, that's the wrong way to put it. Sorry, <clears throat> sorry, that's a poor choice of words on my part. But I mean, like, you were the next crop of kids. Like these were like all the people you mentioned go on to do bands yeah. you know that are like the bands that become like the next sort of wave of of bands that are bringing kids in type thing yeah i'm, I'm thankful for that that's it's pretty incredible you know mm-hmm. like and i and i'm blessed that just have amazing friends in hardcore that do amazing music and like like we burn shared a shared a loft with quicksand so it was kind of interesting to, to hear their kind of early rehearsals and stuff like that, you know, and to see like people like Sergio then gone to, to play in Deftones and, 
it's 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 pretty it's it's great to to watch your friends express their talent and and then continue to grow upon that talent express it and you know bigger and 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 more who are some of the you know, more more in tune ways with them go ahead oh sorry sorry you dropped that for a second I didn't mean to cut you off there um that's okay who were some of the these early bands that you were kind of gravitating to that you were seeing like locally absolution sick of it all agnostic front straight ahead mm-hmm. um rest in pieces um you know what's crazy is I don't think I don't know if I ever got a chance to see you today back then for whatever reason. Really? Um, yeah. You know what's funny? I just had uh, you know that comedian Michael Ian Black. I think so. He was just on this podcast and he he was he was in a hardcore band in high school with Tim Shaw from Ensign. Like he's on oh, that, nice. He's in that show The State and stuff. But anyway, he was on the podcast and he's talking about sick of it all. He's talking about the Chrome Eggs. I'm like, what about nice. you today? He's like, I've never heard of that band. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, for real? Like they were that straight edge band? He's like, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever heard of them. So. That's, that's, wow. Was it a different scene? Say, say again? Sorry, I didn't mean, like, was it a different scene? Like, did Youth of the Day kind of exist in almost, like, obviously they're interconnected, but was it almost like well, a separate? I, I partially, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe they were just fucking busy at that yeah. time, kind of. When I, I started going to shows, I guess it was 88. Mm-hmm. And I think that I missed. I missed some shit. I'm just trying to think. That fuck. You got me on my. I'm on my microfiche right now. Just fucking going back in the vault, through trying to fucking. Uh, fuck, man. That's what I hope yeah, with this I mean, podcast. There was also a lot of that. They were. There was also a lot. I think maybe there was a lot more shows in Connecticut too at the time or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For some reason, it just didn't work out for me. I got a chance to see Sick of It All a lot, which was amazing. And Sick of It All, you know, fucking really blessed burn they gave us our first show pretty much at cb's where like we went and played four songs you know right before they went on on their stuff so we definitely are super thankful to those guys well that brings me to the next question actually how did you start playing music like had you had you tried other music were you playing an instrument as a younger kid or anything yeah i grew up i mean i, I used to fuck with i started fucking with drum machines probably when i was like 13 or something like that awesome and then like little synthesizers and stuff like that, or not little, but synthesizers, mm-hmm. but only actually, yeah, I guess two. They were both. They were there. Yeah, they were two two synths. Um, and then I got at, when I got into punk, I got out of that. And then I eventually picked up guitar. Uh, you know, be, became some you know versed enough on guitar to do the things I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've been focusing back on my drum machine shit because I've been. Kind of leaving leaving the guitar stuff to Gavin, obviously for Burn, mm-hmm. and just focusing on my electronic ghost decibel stuff now. And like, was was had you tried starting a band prior at all, or no? Tried starting a band? Like, I mean, had you like practiced with other people or jammed other people? Well, I mean, a oddly Burn like we. Burn was kind of started for me to have a band. I forgot. I think somebody was just like, you should have a band. And they, next thing you know, people were kind of like, <laughs> Alan claims that he was talked into it or tricked into it. Or something. <laughs> I think something like that. He, he shares uh, affectionately with me from time to time. Um, well, that's a, a good trick. Yeah, that paid off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, I think it was like, 
yo, you should be in a band because I was just like known as being in um, I was a, I was a known dancer at the time or whatever, you mm-hmm. know. So people were like, yo, you should have a band, and and it took a while. Gavin like uh, left town for a while, and then we, you know, we tried to find another guitar player. It was me and Alex for a while only. Um, but no, I've me and my friend Ian Love, we did. We did one song. It was that? I don't even know if that was pre-burn though. That wasn't pre-burn. That was after burn. No, yeah, that was after burn. Yeah, so burn definitely burned first thing. But I did I record? Fuck, man. I mean, I record. I mean, I used to make music in the house, like like little like songs in my like synthesizer, but not not in a band. What was the kind of vibe of the 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 songs you're making in your house on the synthesizer? Oh, the Ghost Decibel shit. Like, is that Ghost Decibels back then even? You know what's fucking weird, man? What's that? It's it, because I was sitting. I was like, when I when 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 Orange Nine got back from a tour in like two thousand. I remember I had like one of those mini disc recorders, mm-hmm. and I remember working on some electronic shit. I remember playing these guitar chords and this this these progressions. Right when I started doing the Ghost Decibel shit, I was like playing those and I didn't even realize it for a while but I was like holy shit this is the same progressions and then I just had a like it was maybe like a month ago I was like this is some of the same shit you were playing whatever it was two years ago at your old apartment so I don't know I don't know if it was the same shit but you wonder yeah you wonder I mean it's it's definitely was you know uh, drum you know hip hop flavored you know shit you know, electronic mm-hmm. shit, you know, obviously a little bit less influenced at the time outside of, you know, the hip hop stuff. Cause there wasn't, I didn't really have a ton of other electronic music influences. Mm-hmm. How did you kind of like find your voice then? Like I, as a vocalist, I'm always intrigued by that process for you. By copying. Who were who your people that you were looking to? John Joseph, Gingy from Absolution. Mm-hmm. So Thera from Crucifix, uh, Roger from AF, um, I can't, HR was out of my, I, I couldn't, I didn't think it was even in something I could attempt to do. So it just wasn't an influence. <laughs> Obviously a huge fan, but just was outside of, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, I can't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not that I can do, you know, any of those other people, but I was able to, to draw influence from them. And make it my own uh, more than I would say HR, just because HR is so is so unique, and I just you know it's just and, and just so yeah. Well, that's why that's almost an uncoverable band. It's because knowing you're never going to do anything approaching the original, so you know it's hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and so when you when Burns like forming, oh, they, wait, Newbury Comp can't come out already, right? By the time Burns started, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's like two years before, right? Mm-hmm. How did how did that process for you come together? Like Freddie's told his version of the story, but how? What was the process of the Newbury comp? Coming you know what? In? Take Freddie's version and flip it on its ass, and then we have the fucking truth. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. That's uh, my mic drop. No, I'm kidding. No, the process. <laughs> the process was. The process was awesome, and it was. And Freddie, I got. I really have to thank Freddie for, for being like a first real world kind of collaboration in music on the, on the kind of executive producer slash producer side, which is, I mean, that's a pretty amazing thing when you look at it. Um, mm-hmm. 
we um freddie had freddie had most of the i think connections with the bands i knew some of the bands but freddie was more in the more in in the scene than i was i think he just knew more people he was around longer um one thing that that i had was um the main things i brought to the table were on the production side um the booklet um using those freaking uh transfer letters or whatever it's so crazy where you like you yeah, like you said yeah exactly goodness gracious you know <laughs> doing some of the drawing uh for the for the book then getting all the tapes in that obviously were recorded at, with various budgets and handed <laughs> in to us you know when you say please give it to me on a dobe metal <laughs> tape or whatever and you get like the d60 you know and so, like, we had this, <laughs> some of these, like, it just some of it just wasn't great quality. Yeah. So I was already into, I was already doing this in my room with, like, skate videos where I would, like, I didn't like some of the music on some of the skate videos. Some of them just didn't have music. So I would put, like, New York hardcore bands on. I would audio, do you have the audio dub button on your VCR? Yeah, like in the old old VCR, absolutely. Exactly. I would audio dub New York hardcore bands over the skateboarding videos. Dude, that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> But and, but sometimes like the sound was all different from the things I was trying to get onto the VHS tape. So I was running it into like this realistic uh, mixer, Radio Shack's brand realistic. Yeah. And I I did the same process to try to get to take the tapes from being the raw tape that a band submitted to me to getting it to sound similar to the other, you know, whatever it is, 18 songs on the uh, on the tape. So I did a little bit of quote unquote mastering. Uh, you know, at my house, and then uh, ran off some copies. It's they amazing. Ordered the stickers. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say it's amazing because most bands forget to master now, and here you are as a kid mastering stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, the, that that comp stands up. You know, it's like one of the greatest selections of bands. Like, what was you know, like you said, Freddie was more familiar with the bands, but like, were there certain bands that you were like, no, this band needs to be on the tape, or the bands that you were? Oh, kinda... collapse, collapse, and absolution, definitely for yeah. me. Yeah, collapse. Is... I think is 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 Killing Time or Raw Deal on there? Raw Deal, Raw Deal, and Raw Deal. It, it collapse. I had already done the breakdown sticker too, so I was stuck in that. Oh, you did a breakdown. You did the the first breakdown sticker. I had an A breakdown sticker. Oh, okay. look, definitely wasn't the first one, but it's in Freddie's book. The one in Freddie's book. I, I thought that was a, a first one, but maybe I just I'm no, that wasn't the first one. That that one in the book is the one I did. Oh, that's fucking awesome! Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um. So at the when like collapse is a band that I think is just completely almost forgotten to to time too, but they were so fucking wicked. Yeah, they were great. Um, they were very great, and it was also another band, um, called Irate. Okay, yeah. Tommy Carroll, Tommy Carroll, um, uh, late Jerry Williams, amazing uh, guitar player. Um, and I wonder. I think Sergio played bass in Irate, and I think some of that was similar. Did they record? Sure I don't know. I'm pretty sure Sergio played in Irate. But Irate and Collapse reminded me of each other. Obviously, the vocals are not similar, but the kind of bombastic nature of, of it, uh, to me, was similar. I, I think I'm getting that right with Sergio being in, uh, in Irate. Well, either way, I'll fix it in the intro, if not. But that, because i got to look this band up, because Tommy Carroll on vocals with, uh, with Collapse kind of music sounds incredible. 
I mean, I don't, it's not a different guitar player, but I mean, it's very, it's, there were similarities there. Oh, but I rate was dope. I'm, I'm wondering if, I, I, fuck, man. I didn't, do they have it? I, fuck, man. That's so, I gotta look, I gotta look and see what exists. Maybe Sergio has some stuff. Yeah. That, that could be like the, uh, that to me is one of the, the great lost ones. I'm gonna have to start checking into that if there's any sort of a uh, thing online. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it was Tommy Carroll. And I forgot who on or maybe maybe it was Sean Crickson on drums. Maybe that's I hope awesome. I'm getting this right. I hope I'm getting this right. Go ahead. Oh, that's okay. So, um, so when Burn starts going, like obviously you're well known, you know, as a mosher at this point. Was there like an immediate kind of like following for you guys, or is that something that you had kind of build up by playing shows? I don't. I mean, I guess. Everybody kind of had a. I mean, I think a lot of bands had a following, I guess, or something. Um, I think we we had our own thing, and we 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 got we got a lot of on a lot of good shows. We opened up for a lot of great bands. We had great bands play before us. Many bands that have wanted to be bigger than us, obviously. Um, but I don't. I don't really know. I don't know. I, it didn't feel like there wasn't. I guess I guess we were playing to people off the bat, and we were. But I'm just trying to think about how it went down because there wasn't there wasn't that 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 many shows. First of all, you know, but when there but there were still enough shows. When there was shows, they were generally well attended. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not I'm not trying to be like, oh yes, when we first started out, it was everyone was coming and they would <laughs> start coming. Um, they were fun. The shows were amazing. Yeah, you know. Well, it just feels like it was such a strong scene. Like you know, I'm just yeah. coming from a weird outsider, but from from an outsider Absolutely. perspective, uh, that's a great word to put. It's very strong scene. It also there around that time, or a little bit later, there's a schism that kind of uh, occurs, right? And you have that ABC No Rio sort of scene begin to start. And uh, you know what Freddie said on the show when he was on the show, and like just from looking at flyers, like you know. You were one of the rare people that seemed to be able to straddle both worlds, or were there other people that were straddling both worlds too? I don't know. Um, I know Quick Quicksand played there as Moondog. Mm-hmm. If that does anything, yeah. Uh, um, because Walter even mentioned on when he was on the SFA, show. SFA, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. SFA played. They kept playing Phoebe's. Um, I'm sure there's more bands, but yeah, I mean, I think that we were unique in that sense, you know, that, that we felt that they get home on both sides of, or not, I guess, I don't know if it's, they're not sides, but it, at both venues and both cultures. Mm-hmm. And Freddie mentioned when he was on the show and actually Walter too has mentioned when he's been on the show, how you specifically were one of the people kind of key in helping uh, protect, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, what was happening at ABC No Rio and just being, making sure that, you know, these two worlds could exist simultaneously. Well, I don't know if I was protecting anybody. I think that there are a lot of friends. I think certain, I think certain friends are maybe more visible or something. I was in a band, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm in a band or something like that. So maybe it looks like, looks like that. I might say Walter was, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, it wasn't something that I was like doing any, with any kind of intent or anything like that. I don't think anybody really was. I don't think it was really needed. 
Was it just like two separate people, scenes? Nobody was going. Nobody was trying to go to to, to ABC to Rio and 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 hurt anybody. Yeah, you know. But like, it was just a different. It was just. It was one was like more punk, mm-hmm. kind of crust punkish kind of thing, and kind of the peace punk and stuff like that. And the other was just more of a the the hardcore kind of getting into more of the the heavier hardcore stuff. And because you guys are playing in both, right? Um, were there kids like I guess like it, you would be playing to sit two separate audiences when you're playing, like whether you're playing in one scene or playing at CBs. In some ways, yeah, but not not ne- not necessarily because the two audiences shall never twain meet or whatever mm-hmm. it is the thing, mm-hmm. never the twain shall meet. It's not. I think it's less that and more that, as we shared earlier, we were talking about earlier. It was a strong scene, right? And there was enough. There was enough people to have ABC have its own scene. Mm-hmm. There was enough people for CBs to have its own scene. And I think maybe that's what makes kept the the, the New York thing alive overall is because maybe sometimes people go to shows or maybe they feel more punky or they feel more hardcore-y, but they, they go in there and they're like, oh, well, this is not really my thing or there's not enough of what I want or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. But back then, like, if you wanted to, if you wanted the, the, the crust punk thing, and the ABC No Real vibe that was one hundred percent there, mm-hmm. with with enough people and shows that were really feeling it for real, and as it was for fucking CBS, you know what I mean. And and I think that in some cases those audiences met at larger shows, huge shows, and things like that. But they were big enough to sustain themselves. Does that does that do you do you get what I'm, why, why I'm answering in that sense? Absolutely, yeah. and I think that's like that's the thing about New York that makes that city so special is you can have that scene, you know, these two scenes that we're talking about, but also at the same time you have that Noiseville records, uh, like hate fuck scene, pig fuck scene that I think they called it in the media, but you have like, you know, like the early white zombie kind of stuff and like the, uh, uh-huh. like the other bands on Noiseville other than breakdown inside out. And like, you also have like a rockabilly scene or not a rockabilly, but a garage rock scene happening at the same time. And like all these scenes are, you know, vibrant, like from the looks of it now, like there's records coming out, there's zines coming out and it's like, I guess only in a city like New York with that kind of population could this happen. Yeah, I think the population is important because obviously new blood is important. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you think about just for your own life, a new something is fun. And if they think about music as an entity, it wants to eat. It wants to be fed. You know, a scene wants to eat. It wants, it needs, it needs zines. It needs, you know, the coffee shop to, to meet at or whatever it is. It needs the venue that you don't really have to pay that to have the show at, so you can do some of those smaller shows. You know, yeah, that's a great way to put it, too. That it needs to eat. And so I think just being just, just showing up, the population being there and throwing fodder into the mouth of the scene, whether it's the fanzine or just their attendance, or a vegan brownie, or a fucking. You know, a, a, a recipe of, of and like they used to do this back in the day. It was amazing, like a fucking, like a vegan, like um, like fucking photocopied like um recipe books or whatever. Yeah, cookbooks that they would have at this at certain shows, especially especially an ABC in a real type show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So shit like that, because then people are like, you know what? It's it's like it's it, it's like when you're watching a documentary about you're sitting there with your girl with your girl who's watching a documentary. You're watching documentary because she, but she's a girl, but you're able to get into the documentary about the subject that she's into, but you're not into because there's a human interest bit. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's a part that, where, where all these seamstresses maybe share some other thing that makes them unique and special, and you you cry a tear not because you care about sewing, 
but because you care about people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think and and scenes scenes need that human interest piece, and they need of oftentimes new blood to 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 get the wheels moving. Because a lot of people have been put in a lot of time. You know, it's just oftentimes there's not a lot of uh, financial reward for people. You know, so without that that coffee shop where you can do the free shows, and without the you know the the handout leaflet cookbook. You know, it's just not fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's oftentimes not doable. You know, so population is a big deal. Yeah, and I think that's also what separates punk and hardcore from so many other scenes is that you have these aspects. Like, you don't really see that in, you know, the the swing scene, for example, like in the same way. I don't know a lot about the swing scene. I shouldn't pick up on the swing scene, but I mean, like you know, I I, I haven't I've been to a couple. Sh- I know actually that's not true. I've never been to a show, but you know, like you go to other types of music, other shows, and you don't necessarily have, you know, someone you know staying up late at night the night before producing a photocopied uh, booklet of something exactly. they're very interested in. Now I know what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and that's Absolutely. and I think that's like and also the scene that you came from, like that's like one of the strongest scenes, you know, of, of all. And that's why that is like a scene that, and, and that's become almost a brand that's recognized around the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know you have to get back in the studio and I, I don't want to keep you all day, but would you come back at some point for a part two? Because I've just barely scratched the surface on things I want to talk to you about. Yeah, let's come back. And also I, I want to mention um, for folks in Europe, burn is about to hit Europe. Um, the dates are on our website, um, www. I think it's burn, burnnyhc.com. We're hitting, we're doing like three weeks out there. So definitely come out, spread the word. We also doubt we dropped a new EP with a couple of new songs that's streaming now. You could check that out. Um, so yeah, but I definitely want to come back, but I want to make sure people know about that tour in the meantime. hundred percent. I will, I will plug that also in the beginning of the podcast as well. And let everyone know, um, because you are one of the great all-time front people in this thing, and also one of the all-time Hall of Famers when it comes to this podcast, because you've done a, <laughs> a lot of cool things, man. Like from the oh, new breed comp to you know saving our friend MVP uh, from like leaving punk and hardcore. Uh, you know, you've 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 changed you've changed the game for this thing. Uh, that's that's beautiful. I'm thankful for that. Well, uh, I'm thankful for the music you make. And uh, I guess at this point, uh, please go back in the studio and make some more. (laughs) Will do. Let's get up on that part two. I'm super psyched for it. Thank you, Shaka, for coming on the show. And as you can hear right there, we we got a part two already scheduled. That was so short. We got to get right into a part two um, with him because there's a lot more to cover. Way more to cover. Speaking of more, next week there will be more Turn Out of Punk. Next week on Turn Out of Punk, we're going to keep it in the uh, New, York, New York, New Jersey area with a comedian by the name of Michael Ian Black. Michael Ian Black has you know, been one of my favorite comedians for a long time. Someone on the state, uh, Wet Out American Summer, you know, uh, Stella, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but, and I have to thank my brother Tristan for this one. He's also a total hardcore kid and played in a band with Tim Shaw Venson. This is all coming out next week on the show. 
I'm, I just had to give that spoiler away in advance because that keeps blowing my mind. So I will see you next week for that Michael Ian Black episode. Uh, in the meantime, go out there and make your own culture. Anyone can do it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for supporting what I do. Uh, I've got a bunch of fucking shirts left over from this weekend. Uh, get in touch. Hit me up. Turn it up on podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to order a turned out a punk shirt, uh, we will get, get in touch and we'll figure it all out with the shipping and all that bullshit. So thank you everyone. And I will see you next week.